So I have a question for you to ponder this morning. How do you know if you're a mature Christian? You ever thought about this? I mean, we spend lots of effort in church to make sure somebody has a relationship with God. Have you prayed the prayer? Have you become a Christian? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And then we say, kind of say, good luck with that. What's next? And when I say mature Christian, I don't mean gray hair Christian. How do you spiritually mature? Because believe me, it's not like chronological maturity where you like wake up one day and you're a 20-year-old Christian or I've been a Christian for 30 years or whatever, so I'm spiritually mature. There's lots of Christians who've been Christians for a really long time that have not grown very much spiritually at all. You follow me? Like They're just like they were when they said the prayer 20 years ago. Nothing else has really changed except maybe their status with God, but they're the same person. They're still fighting God at every turn. They're still looking at different things. They haven't really matured in their faith. But that's a nice church phrase, isn't it? Become a mature Christian. And we go, I don't even know what that means. So before we talk about that in the spiritual standpoint, let's talk about maturity itself. Yes, it means your beard is gray and not dark, <laughs> right? But Scott Peck, the psychologist, of you psychology majors out there, defined maturity this way. He said a person is mature that is a person who has the ability to delay gratification. You know, like Mississippi State fans waiting for a national title. Right? At least we finally got one in baseball. Clearly, we're not headed there with football yet. But delayed gratification. Well, what does that mean? Delayed gratification is this. Delayed gratification is the ability to endure immediate pain for maximum future benefit. To suffer now to benefit later. You know, college. Four years of suffering so that hopefully when you graduate, you'll have a job and a future. Hopefully. Right? But you're putting in the time now so that someday you can keep moving forward. There's all kinds of investments like that, right? In fact, investments like that. You start putting some money away now. Can't do other things because you're saving some money so that you can work for 40 years and then enjoy your life with the money you've saved? Delayed gratification. Or if you're like my six-year-old, you tell him it's time for breakfast, and he doesn't wait for the bacon and eggs. He goes to the cabinet to get his own breakfast because he can't wait for dad. So he'll go to the cabinet, and breakfast looks a little bit like this. He'll come back in the den with Pringles, Oreo cookies, a honey bun, and Ritz crackers. I have no idea, but that's what he, that's, that's his breakfast of champions right there. Now, if he'd waited, I don't know, 15 minutes, he could have scrambled eggs and bacon cooked by dad. Which is how this works. Like, Saturday morning's like, I'm going to cook breakfast. Would you like scrambled eggs and bacon? Yes. I turn around, and he's filling his belly with Ritz crackers. It's like, dude, bacon and eggs on tap. Can't you smell the bacon? You can smell the bacon right now, right? But if he would delay the gratification of a honey bun in five seconds... He could have bacon and eggs, and his heart was content. That's delayed gratification. The immediate pain of hunger pains delayed for the greater breakfast later, my son. He's six. I want breakfast, and I want it now. And I have no rhythm or sense to what breakfast is really supposed to be. It's whatever he can reach the, in the cabinet, and there, then it goes. And so I feel like a bad dad is like eating Oreos for breakfast. I'm like, that's going to play out well. He goes to school, and they're like, he had a honey bun again this morning, right? It's like, yep. Can you tell? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, 
He didn't wait for the good stuff. He jumped right ahead. So delayed gratification is how we know if somebody is mature as a person. Does this sound like a spiritual concept? This idea that we would endure now or struggle now for a future reward. Does that sound familiar? As a Christian, does that sound familiar at all? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this, If anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus is promoting spiritual delayed gratification. You will struggle in this life. It'll be a challenge in this life. You will have to give up. Not because you earn your way to heaven because of what you give up. Look how sacrificial I was. Let me into heaven. But this life is tough. This life is hard. But then he says, wait, wait, deny yourself. You know, one of those other delayed gratification things is dieting, right? Delay the amount of carbs for the abs later. <laughs> right? and, if, and if you jump into that, you're like, it's been two weeks, I should be swelt by now. What's wrong with this problem? So you give up. You know, it's like, I've had zero carbs for 10 days. Why do I not look like a Greek god? This is not, this is not happening fast enough. This is not happening the way I wanted to. This is not the results my Facebook program that advertised to me and promised. This is not working out the way I planned. I quit. I can't lose weight. It's because you have to endure pain now <laughs> for the reward later. You have to delay the gratification of Oreo breakfast in order to have the physically fit stuff happen later. And that takes maturity to go, yeah, I'm not having the biggie fries. I'm having, you know, I'm having the baked potato. That takes maturity. Now, apply that to your spiritual life. And Jesus goes, you must give up your own desires. Take up your cross and follow me. What is he talking about giving up? Your own personal kingdom and agenda. When he says give up your desires... He means put, subjugating everything to him. This crazy word in Christianity we don't like called surrender. Losing yourself in order to gain it. In fact, Jesus even said you must lose your life in order to gain it. Right? And so spiritual maturity is the ability to look at Scripture and go, Scripture says I should do this, but I really want the Oreo breakfast. But I'm going to choose what Jesus is offering me instead. Christ marks spiritual maturity as the ability to deny our own desires and to seek Christ first. So when I ask the question, how do you know if you're a spiritually mature Christian? At least part of that answer is found when you are faced with temptation. Hey, I've got this opportunity. This will be really fun. This sounds really good. I'll and I get to do it right now. I choose it. The spiritual mature Christian goes, yes, the world is offering me wealth and status and power and relationship on a platter instantly. But God says, wait. God says, give. God says, sacrifice. Which do I choose? The spiritually mature Christian is able to go, I want my Oreos and Pringles for breakfast, but Jesus is offering me bacon and eggs later. I mean, that's the truth of it, right? 
We want what we want, and we want it now. And spiritual maturity goes, I must sacrifice now. I must endure some hardship now in order to be more like Christ later. <clears throat> Paul gave it, Paul, in fact, Paul gives this goal to Christians in Ephesians 4.13. He says this, Our goal is for all of us to come to unity of the faith, to knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. What's his goal for the Ephesian church? To become more and more and more Christ-like. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we know him. And so the more we know him, the more we can be like him. If we have a hero that we model our life after and pattern our life after, then we try to do what they do. In fact, success coaches will tell you, find the person who's doing what you want to do and mimic that. Want to sell lots of real estate? Get to know somebody who sells lots of real estate. Want to be an accountant and have a big practice? Hang out with them. Want to find somebody who is like, has the six-pack abs? Hang out with them. That'll be fun. You know, like spending time with the person you want to be like is how you end up learning how to be like them. And Paul says, our goal is unity of faith, spiritual maturity, and the fullness of Christ then if we're going to mature spiritually, if we're going to be like Jesus, then we have to spend time with Jesus. Of course, the pastor's telling you to read your Bible, <laughs> right? But it's more than that. It's, you know, it's, it's, the, um, it's the old 80s uh, wristband. What would Jesus do? You find yourself in a set of circumstances, WWJD. What would Jesus do? I don't think he would do this. I think he would do this. Then why am I doing that? If I'm going to be like Jesus, I would make decision points in that moment like him. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. See, we always talk about salvation part, right? I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And we kind of like glaze over the Lord part. It's very easy to do because we like to be Lord of our own life. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just as you received Him, now also continue to root your life in who He is, abounding in faith, abounding in thanksgiving for the fact that you can know Jesus Himself. Rooted, built up. In other words, grounded in your faith and continuing to grow, to be spiritually mature, to be fully like Jesus. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm done. Nope. You're half-baked. <laughs> like, spiritual maturity is not instantaneous. If anybody ever told you, become a Christian and all your world problems will go away, I'm sorry. Ask Christians who are in Afghanistan right now about that. Right? If people told you, hey, just love Jesus and everything will work out perfectly, how does that work for anybody who ends up losing their life because of their faith? Or the Christian who still gets cancer or COVID? But wait, I prayed the prayer. I'm supposed to be in this like bubble now. Everything is going to be great, Jesus. Instantly like you, no problems. Wrong. The difference is, that when you're faced with those challenges, when you're faced with that pressure, when you're struggling in that particular journey, you are not 
alone. The difference between somebody who knows Jesus and somebody who does not know Jesus is when you are down and when you are in the darkest place in your life, you are not alone. He is with you. And so the goal is to be more like him because what did he do when he faced challenge, when he faced persecution, when he faced the Roman Empire? What did he do? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead became death on the cross for us. I just combined a bunch of verses there, but you get the idea. <laughs> right? Jesus gave himself up for us when he had it all perfect and had the holy bubble and was in heaven with God. He goes, you know what? I'm going to go step on Legos at 3 a.m. for these people. I'm going to go endure what they have to endure. I'm going to go face the temptations they have to face. And I'm going to suffer and die so that they will know me. I'm going to become one of them so that they can become like me. So we were never meant to go, okay, I've prayed my prayer, and I'm just going on with my life. We are meant to be rooted, built up in Him, continue in our faith, abounding in thanksgiving, on towards spiritual maturity. We're good Wesleyans. Good Wesleyans talk about being perfect in love. Moving on toward perfection was a John Wesley thing. This is what he was all about. He took very seriously Jesus' invitation to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said, be perfect. And all of us who are not went, how does that work? <laughs> right? You're supposed to be perfect? How are you perfect? I can't be perfect. I can't even accomplish tomorrow perfect, let alone life perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, by the way. Ask my wife, you know. Anybody here? I'm perfect. Not really. But Wesley took the invitation seriously. But by perfection, he didn't mean without flaw or without sin or, or just like, oh, he's per Charlie thinks he's perfect. I don't think I'm perfect. But Wesley believed we could be perfect in love. That the intent of our heart could be completely restored. That we could be like Christ in the attitude and the essence of our being. And we're supposed to be moving on toward that. Perfectly loving God, perfectly loving others in the sense that that's what we want to accomplish. Do we still screw that up? You, be you better believe it. Just like the people who promise you everything will be great after you accept Christ, another false promise is that you'll be perfect after you accept Christ. Christians still mess up. But just like when you're suffering and Jesus is there, when you mess up, if you're faithful to confess it, Jesus is there. And if we're striving to be more and more like Him, then we ought to be doing that less and less. <laughs> we, should, we should be like, okay... Last time, I chose poorly, you know. This time, I chose right. Every time I say the phrase, I chose poorly, I, I picture an Indiana Jones movie, he chose poorly. We, we get in these situations, and we choose the wrong thing when we could have chosen the right one. And when we choose the right thing and go, God, I did it again, God goes, okay, I forgive you. But the intent was to stop doing that. It's not a license to go do whatever you want. Hey, I've prayed my prayer. God's going to forgive me anyway. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing, and Jesus will love me anyway. Paul goes, are you kidding me? That's literally the Greek there. <laughs> are you kidding me? That is not what I meant. That's not what Jesus meant. We're supposed to be moving on to being more and more like Christ. If Jesus invites us to be perfect in Matthew 5, 48, then it means it's possible. He wouldn't go, 
Be perfect in love. Love your neighbor as, your se- as yourself. Wait a minute. Here's the key part of that phrase, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus capitalizing on? Who loves me more than me? Right? Who loves myself more than myself? And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as much as you love you, that's a lot. That's a lot. Because most of the time we spend our life building our agenda around ourselves. I want to make more money. I want to get a marriage and relationship and kids and have a career and a white picket fence and blah, 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 blah. Me, 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 all me. Jesus goes, love others that much. Seek their thriving. Seek the thriving of the city where God places you. Seek the benefit of others. Love others. Sacrifice for others. Forgive others the way I loved and sacrificed for you. Oh, to be like Christ is to be as sacrificial for others as Christ sacrificed for us. And so a spiritually mature Christian is able to take that leap of faith. They're able to, if you were here last week, get out of the boat, so to speak, right? And sacrifice beyond or take the risk or take the jump to experience God because he's going to be right there with you. You see, when it comes to our denial of ourself, it's not that our desires are necessarily too great. It's that they're too weak. Matthew wants Oreos for breakfast. And that's instantaneous. And that tastes awesome. But if all you eat is a few Oreos, how much longer before you're hungry again? If all you have is a few Pringles for breakfast, by 10.30 you're like, by the end of this sermon, you're like, I'm thinking about where I'm going for lunch now. And like, in other words, if we jump on the instantaneous, gratifying, pleasureful, right there in the moment thing, it doesn't really lead us to, sat- to satisfaction. And it's not that our desires are too great. It's that too, that's, too, that's settling. That's like taking a fake, like a counterfeit thing. Right? Now think about other areas of our life where we do this. God says, here's my bacon and eggs prescription for you. And we go, no, I want the ref- I want the Pringles. We do this in relationships. When God says, wait until marriage, that's the bacon and eggs prescription. He's not trying to kill your joy and make life unfun. He's offering you bacon and eggs. <laughs> He's offering you something that will sustain you, something that will really satisfy you. Instead of instant gratification, he's offering you infinite joy. Instead of in the moment, I'm satisfied, he's offering you something that satisfies you forever. When he encounters the woman at the well, what is, she's like, he's like, hey, we draw some water for me, right? And he tells the woman later in the story, I have living water. If you take from it, you will never thirst. And the woman's like, sign me up because I have to come down here every day in the heat, draw water, carry it back. How do I get the water that always keeps me from being thirsty? Sign me up. And every day we pursue the water in the jug that leaves us thirsty again. And God's offering something that's infinite. He's offering satisfaction that never fades. If we listen to what I have to say. Another area in our life where we don't delay spiritual, we don't do the spiritual gratification thing. We want it and we want it now. Money. 
Yes, preachers talking about giving. But here's the thing. If I have to practice the discipline of giving, what does that delay? My financial empire. If I give to the church, I can't invest that, or I can't buy this, or I can't buy the thing I want, and I want it now. You know how many requests for new Nerf darts I get from Matthew every day? <laughs> Speaking of instant gratification, hey, Dad, can you order me this like right now? Because he, he's discovered this thing called Amazon, and he knows about the speed of delivery. And so he knows that if I get on my phone and order something, it'll be here like tomorrow. This is bad training for a six-year-old. If he ever figures out how to ask Siri to do that, we're in trouble. I'll come home from work one day, there'll be like 5,000 darts sitting on my doorstep because Matthew's figured out how to order verbally through Amazon, you know? Not good. But he'll say, I want this, you can order it, and I'll have it tomorrow. It's like, true, but Daddy has to have the money to order it for it to be here tomorrow, and 5,000 darts is not cheap. If I'm giving money, if I'm being generous, not even to the church, if I'm being generous, then that money's not being diverted towards my own personal empire. And so I may be delaying that personal empire for the sake of the kingdom by giving. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not because God doesn't want you to have anything. It's not because God wants you to live in a tent somewhere with no money. That's not what we're saying. But if we're practicing the discipline of giving, we're sacrificing that way. We are practicing the selflessness, the denial of self, the taking up of the cross that leads the short-term pain. Although the Bible says give joyfully, by the way. Whole nother sermon. But the short term pain for the long term result delayed gratification. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's a third one that I know you've experienced if you've ever tried. What do you think spiritual disciplines are? Wait a minute. We call them disciplines for a reason. I got to sit here and read the Bible for an hour, <laughs> I got to spend 30 minutes praying. I don't feel very productive. Anybody, like, anybody have this moment where you're like, I know I need to spend time with God, but I just I got too many things to do. Or you, and you throw things around like, I don't feel productive. This doesn't feel productive to me. I read the Bible, I prayed, but nothing really happened. And it doesn't feel very productive. It doesn't feel like I'm moving forward. It doesn't feel like anything's changed. I just prayed again. I just read the Bible again. Nothing changed. Do you understand that that's not the point? It's not pray the prayer, read the Bible, poof, magic happens. That's called an, I've said this before, that's called an incantation. That's called magic. Spending time with the person you want to be like takes discipline. Spending time with Jesus so you know him, so you can be like him, takes discipline. It takes, okay, my day doesn't start for a little bit longer because I have to be with my guy. And yes, you're sacrificing time. Yes, you're sacrificing energy. Yes, it takes a little bit of work to stay disciplined. We don't like that word. And no, we don't always see the immediate benefit. You may walk out of church today because Will brings out an awesome song at the end, and you're on the spiritual high, and you're like, woo And tomorrow you're like, oh, man. Although tomorrow's Labor Day, so it's not a normal Monday, right? You're like, oh, okay. But you, it's, and so your spiritual life feels like this. I went on retreat Monday morning, you know. <laughs> like, I read my Bible for an hour for two days, then I screwed it up. And that's how it feels. But cultivating the discipline in your life has a later long-term gain because it shapes the desires of your heart. If you're spending time with Jesus, that's who you'll start to look and sound like. 
So if we're going to avoid instant satisfaction and find the infinite satisfaction that's found in Christ, we have to do a couple of things. I'm already talking about it in a little bit. Number one, you've got to understand God and who He is. This is not the God who's going to be like, you didn't grow very much spiritually today. What's wrong with you? That's not God. God's going to be like, are you trying? Cool. Let me help out a little bit. <laughs> are you really putting some effort into this? Good. Let's hang out together. Let me help you with my spirit to grow into maturity in Christ. You're not doing this on your own. God, if we are faithful to pursue him, God will go, okay, let's do this. In fact, God pursues us. God puts the invitation in front of us. God pursued us in the person and work of Christ in the first place. He became one of us so that we could know him. Otherwise, we're lost trying to know him. You've got to understand that's the God you're spending time with, not the one that's like, I'm going to see what he does with this little torture situation. What is he going to do with this temptation? Nah, he failed again, see? God, that's not God. That's not him. God's not going, watch, watch what Charlie does with this one. That's not God. God's like, I know you're struggling. I've struggled where you're struggling. Let's do this differently this time. By the power of my Holy Spirit in your life. I know you're wanting to follow me, Charlie. So let me help you do that. The second thing we can do, and this really takes, and I mean intentionally, not like tomorrow and then it's all magic again. But we have to ask God to make the desires of our heart His desires. We have to want what God wants. Jesus says, if you ask for anything in my name, I will give it to you. Some of us read that passage and go, sweet, $1 million tomorrow, please. 5,000 darts tomorrow, please. Pringles right now, please. That's how we take that passage. Ask anything in my name, I get it tomorrow. Oh, man, sign me up. That's not what Jesus meant. Because if you catch the phrase in there, ask anything you want in my name. What does he mean? In alignment with God's will. In alignment with being like Jesus. If you ask for those things, you will get them. God, I'm really struggling right now. Help me. Done. Click. Because that's in alignment with my purpose. Lamborghini, not done. <laughs> you know what I mean? A million dollars, not happening. Well, maybe. Yeah. But not instantly. If God wants you to have a million dollars, not a million dollars. Some of us, that'd be more dangerous than good. <laughs> what am I going to do with all this money? You know what I mean? It'd be more dangerous than good. It's gone tomorrow. Understand who God is. Ask Him to make your heart match His. And then third, practice spiritual delayed gratification. Giving. Honoring men in our relationships. Spiritual disciplines. Things that God, we know God calls us to do, even though we really don't want to do them, by definition, are delayed gratification. Waiting for God to go, now we can do this. Because when you do that, what you are doing is literally what Christ called us to do. Deny yourself, deny your own designs, take up your cross and follow me. It means not my, my agenda is subject to God's agenda. God might give me some things on my list after we've pursued the things on His. This is from 2 Peter. Peter gave a really, gives a really good description of spiritual 
maturity and how it works. This is second, second, second Peter. I always get these mixed up. It's one Peter two or two Peter one. It's second Peter one, five through ten. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and with and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with that word we love so much, self-control. And self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted, blind, and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. If Paul gave us a goal, Peter is giving us a prescription. Be good. Do good. Support your faith with goodness. Support your faith with godliness. Love and affection for others. If these things are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Peter is asking us the question, is being good, is being godly, is being sacrificial, is being loving increasing in us? If so, then we are maturing in our faith. In fact, he says, if it's growing, you will be, you will be fruitful and effective, and that will confirm who you belong to. If you're one of those folks like me, sometimes it goes, am I really a Christian? Forget being a mature Christian. Am I really a Christian? Peter says, if these things are growing in your life, then you can confirm the fact that you are. That means the opposite is true. If your life is all about you, and there's no place for God in it, and there's no fruit, then you have to ask yourself who you belong to. I asked the question at the outset of this. What is a mature Christian? 2 Peter 5, I did it again. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10 describes it. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. If those things are increasing in your life, then you are maturing in your faith. And the good news is, we don't do it all by ourselves. We're becoming like Him on a journey with Him. He is the one that is forming our hearts and making us more and more and more like Him. Spiritually mature, Christ-like, loving, compassionate, honorable, holy, and good. And if that's not you yet, that's okay because God is still at work in our hearts. And he's never going to stop doing so. Never ending work. <laughs> it's not complete. You're not complete. You're not finished. That doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It just means you're not finished. Oops, I did it again means Jesus forgives me again. But am I trying to avoid the oops with goodness and knowledge and love and faithfulness because that's when we are going to have infinite joy instead of instant gratification. God's offering us bacon and eggs. Don't choose the Oreos. It's a counterfeit. doesn't help the gut either. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God, 
Our faith starts with you. Our life in you starts with you first loving us. And so, Lord, as we come to this communion table this morning, we recognize and celebrate the fact that your table is open to us. Your invitation to infinite joy is open to us. Help us to live and breathe and walk in a faith that's increasing in goodness and knowledge and joy and love and peace, regardless of where we find ourselves this morning. In your precious son's name, amen.